Good morning, everybody. I brought some friends with me as a visual reminder for you all that God made us all different, but he helps us all the same. Amen? Made everybody different, but he helps us all the same. So I love fish. So whether you see yourself as a deep and mysterious hammerhead shark, any sharks in here? Or you see yourself as a light and colorful, carefree angelfish. Whether you are a type A tigger, like me. That was one of the biggest amens I got at the end of first service. You really are tigger. Um, or calm, reserved Eeyore. It doesn't matter because God made you exactly the way you are. And he intends to help us all in the exact same way. Amen? So I'm going to ask that you bow your heads with me for just one minute. And then we're going to ask God's Holy Spirit to be here and speak through his word in the way that we need him to. Father, I praise you and I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for Norwin Alliance Church, which gives itself to you. And I thank you for every person that you've gathered in this room because I know, Lord, you've brought each one for your purpose. So I pray that the enemy would not be able to distract us, that the spiritual battles would be won, and that we would hear from your word and be changed from the inside out. We need you, God, ever so much. No matter how we try to hide it, no matter what kind of games we sometimes play, we need you. So, Lord, I thank you for your word and pray that it would go forth in your power. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this message is titled, Deeper Than You Know. Who can possibly really know me and how can they help? I was researching online about loneliness and discovered an article from USA Today in the year 2009, so just a few years back, that estimated that one quarter of American people report that they frequently feel very lonely. Are you surprised by that? I'm not. In a fast-paced, everybody's going 100 miles an hour society, a technological world, we do so little real human interacting. I've made it my point in life to be able to sit down with my friends across the table, talk face-to-face -face with no distractions, and get to real stuff, not just about shopping and frivolous things. Because people feel very, very disconnected. We feel like there's hardly anybody that really knows and understands us for who we are. But the biggest problem that we have is not just the loneliness that we feel from other human beings. The biggest problem that a man or a woman or a child faces is a lack of understanding about how God knows them. Amen? Because I'm here to tell you that even if you have the best family and the best friends, and you have people that have tried to know you and interact with you, there is not another human being on the face of this earth who could possibly ever completely understand you. Nobody else knows every experience that you have ever been through, every dream, every hope, every fear, every sin. Nobody could possibly understand all of your proclivities and the way you are like God can. 
You can't even understand yourself. How many would say amen? And that's God's word. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And God means to say, only I can. I fool myself into thinking who I am and what I'm about, but God truly knows me. And so what we need this morning is for people who don't know the Lord Jesus yet, I hope that you will know him by the time this message is over. And for those of us who are Christians that know him, I think sometimes we get into praying, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, God bless this food. We, we pray these little prayers and we play this more religious type game than really opening ourselves up to God who knows it all anyway. And it's time for us to be set free with the understanding that he sees everything. He knows exactly where we're at, and we might as well pour our guts out to him and let him work in us. Amen? So that's what this message is about, and it comes from Psalm 139. But what I want to start with is to help you to understand by something that your mind can kind of wrap itself around to see into the spiritual realm. Because this is what God does for us. Uh, one of the key verses for Hope and Passion Ministries is Romans 1.20. It says that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Romans 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. This is general revelation, creation. It reveals God generally to human beings. You can't be saved by observing nature, but you can know certain things about God through what he has made. And then once you start to seek after God, then we go to special revelation, which is the Bible and Jesus, to find out about salvation. But creation is screaming a lot of stuff about God. And so I want to share with you a little bit of creation to get you to see and understand just how much he knows what you're feeling and thinking right now. First of all, let's start with blood vessels. Do you know that in the average adult human body, there exist 60,000 to 100,000 miles of blood vessels? So standing in front of you in my five-foot-six frame, tucked into this body, is enough blood vessels that if you laid just mine out end-to-end, they would circle the equator four times. Is that unbelievable? Now, you might say, Shelley, how can that be? Because so many of them are so small. Forty billion of my blood vessels are microscopic capillaries. Now, when I say microscopic, I mean tiny. I mean, I have capillaries in my body that are eight microns in diameter. Everybody say, ooh. Yeah, you have no idea what that means. Okay, a micron is a millionth of a meter. All right? Let me give you some perspective. An average human hair is 100 microns wide. You have capillaries in your body that are eight. And those capillaries at that tiny, tiny level are so essential that they are currently, right now, transporting blood and nutrients to essential parts of your body. And I am sure about this because as a type 1 diabetic of three decades, I go to an ophthalmologist every year and get a picture like that taken of behind my eye, my retina, and I know that if those capillaries hemorrhage and they burst, you can go blind. These are essential things, but they're operating at such a tiny, tiny level. Isn't that amazing? Look at this picture up here. What in the world is that thing? Now, some of you guys should be saying, Shelly, that looks like an outboard motor. And you'd be right. It does look like an outboard motor. 
The reason we human beings have made outboard motors, the reason we invented them, is because we're made in the image of God, who was the first one that ever made an outboard motor. Only this thing isn't hooked up to a boat. Do you know where this is? This exists on every bacterial cell in your body. It is the propeller. A little propeller spins around. You know, you need many good bacteria in your body to survive. That little propeller spins around at 100,000 RPMs. can stop on a dime and turn directions. This thing exists on every bacterial cell in your body. Isn't that amazing? It has 50 working parts that all have to be in full operation simultaneously for you to even live. And that is happening at a microscopic level. Do you think God is into razor's edge precision? Can you believe the detail with which your body is operating right now? And if you didn't have this, you'd be dead. Now, like I said in the first service, I'm not charging you extra for this bit of information, but just as a sidebar. This is one of, this bacterial flagellum is what it's called, is one of the greatest arguments against Darwin's theory of evolution. Because in order for this thing to work, all of its pieces have to be in place simultaneously. Darwin proposed that organisms become more and more complicated as they, over millions and billions of years, develop more and more productive pieces, and the pieces that aren't productive fall off. I can't even have a bacterial cell in my body unless all of its parts are there all the time. It could not have possibly evolved. It's as simple as like a mousetrap. Professor Michael Behe wrote Darwin's Black Box, and he said, he said it this way. He said, you can't have a wooden platform and catch a few mice. Then add a spring and catch a few more. And then finally add the hammer and catch the most mice possible. Right? You need all the working pieces of the mousetrap in place to catch any mice at all or the whole thing is no good. This is one of the greatest arguments against Darwin's evolution. It's called irreducibly, irreducible complexity. If I reduce this organism by any piece, it no longer functions. Amen? God made this. But what I want you to grasp from it this morning is how tiny and how precise and with what uh, great detail God is working in our bodies. And not just at the microscopic level, but if we look at it on a macro level, the earth right now is about 93 million miles from the sun. And scientists tell us that if we were just a little bit closer to the sun, all the water on the face of the earth would boil away and we'd cease to exist. And if we were just a little further away, all the water would freeze. Same result. Scientists are finding out more and more that this whole universe is so finely tuned so that we are able to exist and operate, that God is into precision, that there is a mind behind creation. Amen? And I want you to understand that it is God. God didn't just make us. We are not deists. We don't believe that God just made everything and threw it out there and said, okay, fend for yourself. That can't possibly happen. God is the power sustaining everything, every minute, every second. And that's where we get Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, speaking of Jesus. It says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and, read it with me, in him what? All things hold together. Scientists can explain the law of gravity. They can tell us about it. They can tell us about the strong nuclear force in the center of the atom. But they cannot tell us where it came from or why it continues to operate. Do you want to know why? 
because it's Jesus. If you feel a pulse in your wrist this morning, you are meant to exist. Don't give up on life because Jesus is willing you to be alive. Believe me, if he meant for you not to be alive anymore, you wouldn't be. And if he chose to let all of the planets spin out of orbit and the strong nuclear force would cease to exist, everything would poof, be gone. He is willing it to be so. Every second, every minute of every day, there are functionings happening in our physical body and in this universe that are beyond our comprehension, that are so detailed, and it is Jesus that is doing it. Now, I have to ask you a question. If he knows the bacterial cells, the billions of bacterial cells in my body that intricately and intimately, if he is operating with me on that level in my physical body, how much does he know the heart of Shelley Prindle? How well does he know the mind of Shelley Prindle? Amen? What does Colossians say? He made the visible and the what? Invisible. He's holding together the visible and the invisible. I want you to know this morning, I know that the Holy Spirit's main message for you this morning is to understand something. God has a firm grasp on who you are. And this is why King David in this beautiful poem could stand and say, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. There are people sitting in this sanctuary this morning. Maybe you're here and you'd say, Shelley, there has not been ever a single human being who has ever really gone after me, sought me out, and tried to really know me and love me. I want to tell you something. God does. He has sought you out and he knows you completely. He knows every hope and every dream of your heart. He knows every sin that you have ever committed. He knows every pain that you face. He knows your worry and your fears about tomorrow. He understands everything about why you tick, all your proclivities, all your idiosyncrasies, all the things that other people don't understand about you. God has searched you and he knows you. It is so freeing for me to know that the God of the universe took the time to look for me, search me, and know me completely. And that is true of every human being in this sanctuary this morning no matter what people have said of you amen oh lord you have searched me and you know me and then david went on to say well of course you know me god you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb i praise you for i am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful i know that full well what's that a picture of Anybody? DNA. That's a model of DNA. DNA is the blueprint by which our body is what it is, right? DNA existing in every cell of our body, scientists tell us it is analogous to a human language. It is very, very complicated, and it comes from the mind of our creator. And DNA tells our body, how our cells, our proteins, how to, how to make who we are. It's the reason you have eyes the color that you do, and it's the reason I have curly hair if I wouldn't straighten it every morning. And you'd all be frightened if I preached in my real hair. But it's the reason that we are the way we are. It's the reason we have the personalities that we do. It's our DNA. It's the thumbprint of our creator. And I learned something very interesting recently about DNA. 
Every human being on the face of the earth shares 99.9% DNA with each other. In other words, if you look to the person to your right and to your left, you are 99.9% exactly the same as them, genetically speaking. Ooh, I saw some eyes go, ooh. I said in first service, everybody's glad they're not standing next to me. Okay, that means you're pretty much essentially the same as everyone else. And God meant for us to discover that and find that out because I think he's trying to say, quit talking about other people and thinking you're better than them, thinking there's something wrong with them. We are all essentially the same, made in the image of God. Amen? We share 99.9% of our DNA. Now, it gets a little hairy here because our DNA, which is analogous to language, contains what is equivalent to, to, the human genome contains what's equivalent to 3 billion letters in a certain sequence. So even though we're 99.9% the same, that tenth of a percent makes a huge difference. That equates to 3 million spelling differences. So we're, I'm, I'm essentially the same as pastor is, but we're a lot different. And guess what? That's a great and wonderful thing. And I want every person in this room, including the young people and the teens that are still here to understand something. It doesn't matter why or who makes fun of you for what is different about you, what they don't think is good. God made you the way you are. You look the way you look. And you have the personality you have for his purposes. Now, I'd have to go off in a completely different sermon if I were to talk about, you know, the question comes up, well, God, why does God allow some people to be born with defects or disabilities or diseases or mental retardation? Okay, we can get into, listen, I told first service, read, if, uh, read um, Exodus chapter 4. God makes our eyes and our ears, and if we are deaf, if we are blind, if we have disability, he is still sovereign over it. Amen? And the point is that we need to yield what he has made to him for his purposes, and it is beautiful. The psalmist, when he said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, the word for wonderfully in Hebrew literally means to be distinct, to be separated, to be distinguished. We ought to be glad that we are different from one another. God made us to be different from one another. The word for wonderful, your works are wonderful. Each person sitting in this sanctuary this morning is marvelous, surpassing, and extraordinary. Opposed to what the public school system is teaching our children, that they have evolved over millions of years from animals, and they are highly evolved animals, that is wrong. You are not a highly evolved animal. You are an extraordinary, surpassing creation of God. His own hand has made you. Amen? And we need to be reminded of that. We are valuable, and he loves us, and he does not throw us away just because we sin. He came to save us. He loves us. It gets even better than this. If you go on and you read, he says, my frame, David said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Now, this absolutely blows my mind. The Hebrew behind the word woven together here in terms of a human body is amazing. It literally means to variegate, to mix colors, to be skillfully woven. Now, believe it or not, I know it's, this is hard to picture. When I was younger, my mom can testify to this, I actually did crochet. <laughs> I knew somebody would get it. Yeah, right. 
Okay, I used to crochet. Yes, I've made blankets, okay? Let's give Denise a time to recover. Okay, so I used to crochet. I also would embroider, you know. I liked embroidery. This is weird. Okay, but stay with me because God wasn't talking about mass production here using machinery in the context. He's talking about weaving with the hand. And I, I thought about that. I thought, okay, when I used to embroider, this is what I know. I would actually take the needle and the thread and I would touch that needle and thread, every piece, and I would take that little needle and very precisely go up exactly where I had to go, take the right color, go down in exactly where I had to go. It was very precise. It would be very careful. And then that picture, that beautiful picture would come to be after all of that up and under, taking the right colors, right? It is a personal process. And do you understand that when God talks about making your human body, I don't care how big your nose is or how close set your eyes are, Okay? God wove you together. I checked it out just to be sure that I wasn't getting excited for nothing. I said, where else in the Bible is this exact Hebrew word used? And I found it in Exodus chapter 26. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, I'm going to try to read it without my reading glasses. So you might want to turn there. Okay, Exodus 26, beginning at verse 31. God said of his temple, of his beautiful tabernacle. Here's what he said about those two beautiful purple curtains that you see. In verse 31, he said, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim worked into it by a skilled craftsman. And then you go down to verse 36, and he said, For the entrance to the tent, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen. The work of an embroiderer. The word for embroiderer there is the same Hebrew word as God uses to talk about how he knit me together. So he's literally talking about a weaving, a creative process where he chooses the colors and he chooses the shape. And he, by his own hand, God has touched every part of me. When I was made in the secret place, before I even came into my mother's womb, and even there, God says by his own hand, he wove and shaped. He said, Shelly's going to have that crazy curly hair and she's going to have brown eyes and she's going to be wild and nuts most of the time and hyper and... And he said whatever he said about you. And he said, and I want her to yield that stuff to me. And it is beautiful because I have done it. Amen? The world tries to make us all fit one certain mold and make us feel we're not valuable. You have been woven together by the hand of God. He picked and made you exactly as you are. That is a comforting thing, is it not? We need to sit down with our children and we need to teach them that. We need to take them to these passages and make sure they can see in their mind and understand who they are. We have been woven together by the hand of God. And because we are his, because he has invested in us, he can search and know us in a way nobody else can. In my spare time, I do things like, get on websites such as the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's website. Denise, I know, just shake your head. Okay, I was on the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's website trying to figure out what kind of grasp we have on the oceans of the world. 
This guy, uh, this picture is taken from that website, and he's about, I think, 222 feet under the sea in an unexplored cave. He's about to go in there and see what he can find in one of our oceans. When I got on their website, I was shocked to find out, with all of our technology today, I can take my cell phone, I can type in letters, and they can be transported across the world, and the letters end up in somebody else's cell phone. You get what I mean? Like this. We have all this technology do you know how much of the oceans we have actually explored? 5%. We have been able to master 5% of the oceans, and that's it. 91%, they estimate, of the species under the ocean we have never discovered or cataloged. Isn't that, isn't that awesome to think about? It's awesome to understand and to think, man, in all of his glory, with all of his technology, we live on this finite terrestrial ball, and we can't even get a grasp on the waters that are here underneath. But God, his grasp is amazing. Psalm 104, you might want to make a note of this. I'm not going to bring it up on the screen. It's a wonderful scripture to take your kids to for you to understand. Listen, Psalm 104 talks about the depths of the ocean. Well, you know what? Before I go there, let me say one other thing. Write down this reference. Jeremiah 31, 37. Jeremiah 31, 37. Listen to this. God made a promise to us. And he used the skies and the oceans as an example of how serious he is about forgiving you when you come back to him and ask for his forgiveness. It's a beautiful promise. In Jeremiah 31, 37, here's what it says. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured. And let me just stop and say, when we go out into space with the Hubble Space Telescope and keep trying to explore more and more, what are we finding about the universe? Scientists say it, it appears to be what? expanding okay so we're never going to get a grasp on the heavens the more we look the more it seems to get bigger okay so god said only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out will i reject all the descendants of israel because of all they have done declares the lord isn't that neat God is basically saying, only if you humans could grasp and measure the heavens and search out all the foundations beneath, that is exactly when I would say to somebody who comes to me sincerely and says, please forgive me, that's when I would say, no, I won't. Don't you love that? It's like God knew that we'd be living in the year 2012 and we'd still only know 5% of the oceans. Yeah. See how science and the Bible go together? I love that. Anyway, okay, that's a sidebar. I'm going to get to the sidebar. But here's the thing. God knows that we don't even have a grasp of the oceans. But listen to the grasp that he has in Psalm 104, beginning at verse 24. Here's what the Bible says. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. Now, isn't this wonderful to share with children? Here's what God is saying here. First of all, he's acknowledging that we could never number the species in the sea. Amen? 
He says, the sea is so vast and spacious. And he says, all of these underwater creatures, they look to me for their food. And the only reason they eat and live is because God, what? Gives it to them. So when you watch Finding Nemo, and your kids are looking at all this fish stuff, you need to take them to Psalm 104 and say, look, even the tiniest microscopic plankton or a giant sperm whale or a hammerhead shark, it doesn't matter what it is, it's only existing because God continues to feed it. And when he ceases to feed it, it's going to what? Die. Now stay with me. My God is sustaining the depths of the oceans right now. He knows every plankton under the sea and every species that we haven't even wrapped our minds around. Amen? While we're still trying to find out where they are and what they are, he's down there feeding them. Look at that picture. Some of us in this sanctuary today feel like our hearts are the depths of the ocean. We don't even know what's in there. We don't even understand ourselves. We're like, who could possibly help me because I don't even know who I am. I don't even know what is going on in my life. My head is spinning. I am so confused. I am so lost. I am so guilty. I am so, you fill in the blank. And you wish that somebody could come and search out your heart and know it. And I am here to tell you something. Somebody has. Amen? We just need to realize it. And that is why King David said in this beautiful poem, he said, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you, God. You may be sitting in the pew right now, and you're sitting there thinking, surely I can cover up this sin. No, you can't. Surely I can put out of my mind the pain that I feel in the depth of my soul because of such and such circumstances. No, you can't. If I say the darkness will hide me, no, it won't. Because dark and light are the same to God. Do you know what darkness is, physically speaking? It is the absence of what? The absence of light. Okay, now think logically for a minute. Darkness is the absence of light. 1 John 1, 5 says God is light. Where is God? Everywhere. There is no darkness to God. We may perceive darkness. We may look at our circumstances and say, God, this doesn't make sense. Why Why are you letting this happen? It's not dark to him. He knows why. You may look at your life and say, God, this sin is too big. How could you ever forgive me? It's too dark. No, it's not. Darkness is as light to God. Amen? He searches the depths of the human soul. He goes where we can't go. And let the oceans, let the hammerhead sharks, let the angelfish, let finding Nemo remind you that God is sustaining and he knows. And your heart is not so dark and not so confused that God can't search it and that he doesn't know you. 
Now, here's the question. In light of the fact that coming out of my heart are things that are confusing, you know, you say, Shelly, okay, he searches me and he knows me, and I need to have a grasp on that. I can't hide anything from him. So, Shelly, coming out of my heart are, are sinful thoughts or struggles that I have. Coming out of my heart is bitterness or confusion because of the pain I'm in or the problems that I'm facing. Okay, all this stuff is in my heart, and he sees it. So what happens with it as it comes out, as it's exposed to him? What does he do? Well, the psalmist answers this. He says, beginning in verse 17, in response, he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. So here's Shelley Prindle's heart, and it's before God, and all this stuff is coming out of it. And what meets it as it rises up to God, who I can't hide anything from? Do you know what meets it? The infinite thoughts of God come rushing towards me. His thoughts just come rushing towards my life as I yield my heart up to him and say, God, okay, I give it to you. Then his thoughts come rushing down at me. And that is a wonderful and freeing thing to think about. When I was getting ready for this message, I got on uh, the Internet and I was researching a little bit about Twitter. Even though I'm on Twitter, I don't know a whole bunch about it. I tweet once in a while. Okay? And if those of you who know what Twitter is, it's when somebody can, can get on their electronic device, their computer, and they can post a small message. And when they do, it sends an alert out to all the people who have chosen to follow them on Twitter so that they immediately see the thoughts of that person. So I researched Twitter a little bit, and I found out that as of today... 18 million people follow Lady Gaga on Twitter. And in a close second, at about 16 and a half million, is Justin Bieber. Doesn't this make your life better? Okay, so listen. So you can follow Lady Gaga on Twitter. Now, essentially what that equates to is that means that there are 18 million people right now who are thinking about Lady Gaga at any given moment and hoping to know what she says. Now, yeah, but as I said in the first service, forgive me for my face, Um, as I said in the first service, but she is also a creation of God. And there is a wonderful example to share with your children of somebody who God made with proclivities and talents that when not yielded to him become perverted and disastrous. Amen? But if yielded to him would be beautiful and wonderful. But here's my thought on that. So many people want to be famous. They want to get on YouTube. They want to have, you know, a Twitter account and so many people follow them. They want to be thought of. We want to be thought of. Somebody think of me. Everybody think of me. And I'm here to tell you something. That even if you're Lady Gaga and 18 million human beings think about you every day, it's not going to change your life one bit in what matters. If 18 million people followed Shelly Prindle on Twitter, it couldn't forgive one of my sins. It couldn't transport me from this life to the next with any peace or any hope. Amen? It couldn't solve one of my heartaches or make sense of my life in any way. But here's the good news. Maybe 18 million people aren't thinking about me. But God is thinking an infinite number of thoughts about me every second. I'm picturing it right now as the Holy Spirit is in this place. I'm looking over every one of your heads, and I want you to understand the visual. I'm picturing that God right now, no matter what you're sending up to him, no matter what confusion, pain, hurt, hope,
hopes, dreams, sin, ugliness, no matter what you're sending up to him in the depths of your heart, rushing down on top of your head are the beautiful and wonderful and forgiving thoughts of God in infinite number. Amen? Would you rather have 18 million people or one infinite God rushing his thoughts towards you every second? And that's what he's doing. And so you say, well, Shelly, what does that mean? How, how does that affect me? When I send my dark sinfulness up to him, my problems up to him, how does his thoughts respond to me? When I send my confusion and my hurts and my struggles up to him, how does he respond to me? What are these thoughts? I'm glad you asked. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Okay. The word for word in John 1 is a Greek word, and it is logos. When the Bible says that Jesus is the Word of God, here's what it means. Logos means the embodiment of the idea. Logos means the embodiment of the thoughts. So Jesus Christ is the thoughts of God living in front of us. Isn't that beautiful? Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of God, the radiance of his glory. So when you want to know how God thinks about your heart, how God is going to respond to you, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate embodiment of the thoughts of God. And if you say, Shelley, how's God going to respond to my sin? This secret sin that I struggle with in my mind, in my, in my thoughts, in, in my actions. How is he going to respond to my sinfulness? Well, I'm going to tell you how serious he is about it. He knows it's so serious it will damn you to hell. So he said, I will roll up my sleeves and become one of you and take on your sin myself and pay for it. That's how he feels about your sin. He knows it's serious, but he wants to save you. Amen? He wants to save you. Stephanie Tierney brought up in our Ascend class this morning such a beautiful verse, John three seventeen. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. You see, the reason he didn't come to condemn the world is if he never entered the world, we'd still be condemned. We didn't need him to come to the world to condemn us. We're dirty, rotten sinners. We're already condemned. He came to give us hope of salvation. Amen? Shelley, what are God's thoughts towards me when it comes to this, these problems, this difficulty? My life is such a mess. There's so many hurts. There's so many things. How does God respond to that? In Jesus. And we're going to go to Romans chapter 8 to see exactly how he does that. I want to flip to another part of the Bible. And if you have your Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 22. We're going to talk about another passage of Scripture where God speaks of searching our hearts. And this is so amazing. Romans 8, 22. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. All right, the whole universe, the earth, it suffers under natural disaster, under the second law of thermodynamics. This whole earth is a mess because of the sin curse, because of human rebellion against God. And the Bible says that even the earth itself is groaning. And the word for groan there doesn't mean a complaining groan. It's rather a deep sigh. The universe itself is groaning under this labor of sinfulness. It's longing for Jesus to come back and make it right. Then it goes on to say, not only so, not only the earth, but we ourselves who have God's spirit in us, okay? We ourselves, we Christians, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I said in first service, I don't know if people got it, but how how many want to make this your theme verse? I groan inwardly. (laughs) Some days I do. Come on now, be honest. The Bible is so brutally and wonderfully honest. It says that not only so, but Christians groan. There's that word groan again. It's the second time we see it there. It means a deep sigh. It's saying, Shelley Prindle has, it it talks about hope then. It says, for in this hope we were saved. What hope was I saved in? The hope that not only my spirit is saved, but one day Jesus is coming back to give me a new what? A new body. A whole wonderful existence where body and spirit are all made new. And I can't wait for that day because this body, it drags me down. You know what I'm saying? It wants to sin. It wants to sleep. It wants to be lazy. It's it's blood sugar is out of control. It's a diabetic. It gets on my nerves, okay? This body longs to be remade. It says, that's the hope I was saved in. I'm saved now, but the whole thing hasn't been revealed yet. And I'm waiting for that. I don't have it yet, but I wait for it patiently. So currently I groan. In that context, Romans 8.26 says this. The Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In other words, God knows that this is difficult. He knows that we are living between two tension points. It's miserable here, but the hope is around the corner. Amen? It's difficult But I have hope. And in that context, he says, the Spirit will help us in our weakness, in our weakness. Says, for we do not know what we ought to pray for. Who's ever been there? Have you ever been like, God, I'm so confused. I don't even know what to pray for. I'm speechless. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But he who searches our hearts, there's Psalm 139, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit always intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. When I read this phrase, the Spirit helps me in my weakness, here's what struck me. The Bible says the Spirit himself intercedes for us with what? What what does your version say? The Spirit himself intercedes for us with what? How much does God love me that because I have to groan, you catch it? He groans too. Isn't that beautiful? The earth groans, Shelley Prindle groans, God groans. 
He groans through me with, in a way that words can't even express. Now listen to this. When the Bible says he helps us in our weakness, that word is so all-encompassing. Here's all the things that it means in the Greek. Check this out. You fit into one of these categories. You say, Shelley, my body is weak, it's tired, it's sick, it's frail. Okay. The Spirit helps us in our weakness of body. I know that it is hard. I personally know what it is to struggle with sickness and illness and tiredness and weariness. But I want to tell you something. The Spirit helps us until that day. Amen? He can help you as you cry out to him. This also means that he helps us in our weakness of soul. Now, I love this. This little tiny phrase, I want you to memorize this phrase. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Greek is so rich. What weakness? Weakness of soul. How many of you have ever looked up to God and said, God, I can't understand this? The Spirit is there to help you when you put your hands up in the air and say, I can't understand what's going on. He will help us to be able to understand a thing. He will help us to be able to do things great and glorious. How many of you have ever said, I can't be like that person or that person. I've never done anything great or glorious. We do so many great and glorious things that the world doesn't count great and glorious. And we need God's Spirit to help us to see what really matters and what is great and glorious and give us what we need to accomplish those things. The Spirit will help us to restrain corrupt desires. How many in this room have ever said, Shelly, I want to do right, but I never end up doing the right thing. It's so hard to overcome sin in my life. Who's there to help you? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us to be able to bear trials and troubles. I know there are times when we feel so burdened down. How will we ever survive? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Here's what it says. When we don't know what to pray for, He prays through us with groans that words cannot express. There are times when a human being needs to do this. You need to get down on your knees or sit if you can't kneel. Or stand and put your hands up in the air and you need to just say, like you understand it now after this morning, like you mean it, Lord, you know me. Please help me. And then, with groans that words don't even matter, let God touch your heart. Cry out to him. You don't even have to say a thing. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Amen? We are so busy flapping our jaws and telling God what we need. He says, I know you. I know what you need. Just let the word sink in. Understand how much I understand you and let me help you. It's on the heels of this that we get the verse we always quote. It comes right after this. It says, and we know that God works all things for the good of those that love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Amen? The purpose of all of life is that I would bring glory to Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's about rejoicing in him. But I want to tell you something. It's not like that's really such a big sacrifice. 
I see so much in life that reflects God, and I get so excited about him. God wants you to not just know him with your mind. He wants you to enjoy him with your heart. He wants you to walk through life and see him working and moving. He wants you to trust him and revel in the splendor and the glory of Jesus Christ being lifted up. Amen? He can be lifted up in your sickness. He can be lifted up in your suffering. He can be lifted up in your confusion as you let the one who searches your heart pray through you and make sense of the situation for you. In closing, the psalmist, I love this, he starts by saying, Lord, you have searched me and you do know me. He already said that. But in closing, he twists it just a little bit and he says, okay, I know that's a fact. Now let me do it. So then he says, okay, God, now I know all this. So here's the thing. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious ways. See if there is any offensive way in me, any sinful way, any hurtful way, any wrong thinking about you. See if there's any of that in me, God, and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus is the way everlasting. Amen? I want to end with this one thought. When the psalmist says, God, search me and know me, because you know it all anyway. I can't hide it from you. I give it all to you, and then lead me in the way everlasting. I've heard a lot of people through my lifetime, especially teens, since I've spent many years teaching them, say, how could a good God send people to hell? And my response to that is this. Where you live forever is a natural result of who you are. Okay? Think about it. If you live your life on this earth and you say, I don't want much to do with God. I'll hide as much of myself from him as I can. I don't really care much about his glory. I want what I want. This life is about me. Then when you die, you will end up in a place where you don't have God. You didn't want him. You didn't want him glorified. You didn't want him lifted up. And you're going to see what that looks like in its truest form when God's presence is completely removed and you are separated from him forever. That is hell. And that is nasty. But it's because it's what we lived for. And I know that when I die, I'm going to be in a place everlasting, a home of righteousness and joy and, and, and wonderment and exploration of the new heavens and the new earth. Why? Because in this life, what I want, what I live for, is God's glory. And I will see that outcome. God is not mean and nasty that he sends people to hell. He dignifies our choices. He allows us to choose our way. So my prayer this morning is, do not let the guilt of your past, the struggle as a Christian with sin now, make the devil say to you, it is hopeless. God sees the darkest place. And his thoughts to you are coming down in Jesus in forgiveness. And do not let the confusion and the trials and the troubles you're facing in body, in relationships, in tomorrow, in the future, in where you're going to be and what you're going to do. Don't let the enemy steal your life from you. Say, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me.